0: Welcome to the Conceive Baby Podcast, where we give you access to leading international fertility experts across all aspects of fertility and preconception health to help you conceive and carry a healthy baby. Here's your host, naturopath and nutritionist, Tasha Jennings. Hi and welcome to this episode of the Conceive Baby Podcast. I'm Tasha Jennings. And today I'm speaking with a fabulous expert, Dr. Gen- Genia Rosen, who is doing some amazing work in the field of fertility preservation. Now, fertility preservation is such a rapidly growing field. We have egg freezing, embryo freezing, sperm freezing, and now ovarian tissue freezing. But how do they all work and what do they mean for you and your fertility? Well, is a fertility specialist here in Melbourne with a special interest in fertility preservation. She is Deputy Head of the well-known Fertility Preservation Service at the Royal Women's Hospital and really dedicated to the field of reproduction and onco fertility so fertility during and after cancer, and she's undertaking a PhD aimed at helping women conceive after cancer. And today, Ginny is going to share her insights into this rapidly evolving area with us. So welcome, Jenya.
1: Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here with you again, having a chat about this. So important to talk about this.
0: It is such an important topic. And I know we've chatted before on this topic. And I love what you said about, you know, whether it's plan A, B, C or D, there is a path to your baby. And I think that's so true when it comes to fertility preservation. There are so many options available. Absolutely right.
1: Yep. We live in really exciting times. You know, I think the field of onco-fertility has moved so much and advanced so much in the recent years, partly because of the innovations and the um, improved success rates with, with the options that we have. The other, I guess it's important also to think about what else has changed? Why has this come out as such an important topic? Well, we know that young people who are diagnosed with cancer or other serious medical illnesses actually, thankfully, have a much better chance of uh, surviving their illness. And we know that, you know, and that's true for over 80% of men and women or children you know adolescents in their reproductive years so um, we know that the survivors rate fertility as a really important survivorship issue so they're very grateful that they've survived and now they want to be able to have a family just like their counterparts and um and so we're realizing that that these conversations are so important to have for that reason And um, as we're saying, you know, the improved success rates mean that we can offer more to these young people. And, um, And we also know that as a general societal trend, we are delaying having babies longer. And so what that means is that, you know, if we're diagnosed um, with cancer in our 30s for example for a lot of us we actually haven't started our families and for even more of us we haven't completed our families so these are important things to be talking about
0: and good to be including them in the discussion so you know obviously cancer and serious illness the focus is mainly on survival but as you said fortunately we have a good survival rate. So secondary to your own survival is creating a family to most and a lot of people.
1: Yes, and so the emerging sort of oncofertility fertility discipline really involves, you know, the the medical oncologists, the hematologists, um, pathologists. It's a really a very multidisciplinary type of, of setting and fertility specialists are a part of a part of that setting. And we know that um, that while, you know, it is acknowledged as an important thing to to refer um, someone for that discussion with a fertility specialist prior to to starting their cancer treatment, it doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be the case because there's not enough time. So they're just simply the the treatment has to start straight away. Um, Sometimes it's because of... um, Not enough clarity around sort of referral pathways and and who would you refer to. And obviously, because time is often of the essence, you know, it's a recognition that there are fertility specialists that can see you very, very quickly. Whereas, you know, if you just needed um, fertility support in a broader sense, you might be waiting for months for an appointment. And this is not the thing that you can wait months for. So, there are services available, there's a recognition that these patients do need to be seen quickly and will be seen quickly within those services. Um, and, and so we are seeing more, more young people referred, but I think giving sort of recognition to, to this area will mean that we see, we're capturing even more of these people.
0: It's the awareness, isn't it, of fertility in June on a lot of the technology that you've used for cancer preservation, fertility preservation is now having flow on effects into more general fertility preservation for people who are gets advancing age. So as, as we just sort of mentioned, there's a number of different avenues of fertility preservation and freezing. Can you just, I guess, dig into those? I guess we'll start with the egg freezing. Everybody knows more about. Can you tell us a little bit more about egg freezing and how you use that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, lots of people have heard of it. Maybe not as many people know that the technology is actually started in this field of um of the cancer field or serious medical conditions where women were undertaking um, chemotherapy, for example, and wanting to do something prior to that happening. Because we know that after chemotherapy, there is an effect on the function of the ovaries. For a lot of women, um, that fertile window that they have will be shortened as a result of the chemotherapy. So even if there are some eggs left over after the treatment takes place, Um, they will often run out quicker, the the eggs, and there may already be some signs of um, vulnerability of their very function, even when they're finishing the treatment. So so the egg freezing technology was improved as, as a result of this need, and now thankfully with vitrification, which is sort of known as snap freezing, the survival rate of eggs is excellent, sort of upward of 80, 85%. And actually, we're finding that once these eggs survive, they give us just as good success rates as if we were doing IVF with fresh eggs. So there's really now, for a lot of people, no reason. You know, even if we're talking about a couple where one of the um, where, where the woman has cancer, that there's really not a lot of reason to go into embryo freezing. And for that couple, we may just do egg freezing for the woman because. The advantages of eggs over embryos, um, and I know I'm slightly going off track here because we're talking no, about eggs. No, it's all important. Very excellent. One of the advantages of eggs is that it protects or preserves the woman's autonomy. So we know that um, the embryo is the, belongs to both partners, and unfortunately, we also know that relationships can always break up. Um, therefore, freezing eggs—you know—that they they belong to the woman. We know she's always going to have those. Um, and there are other sort of, you know, ethical, moral, uh, legal implications of embryos that that eggs don't have. So, um, so we it, it's often a go to even if there is a partner involved. Um, so the important, the other important thing to mention about eggs is that um, apart from the fact that the success rates with frozen eggs are excellent, is also the safety side of things. You know, always safety number one, um, and from the data that we have, there's and there's been now many, many children followed up after being created from frozen eggs. There seem to be no excess congenital abnormalities, for example, which is very, very important. Um, and the other thing about eggs is that we now know that in this setting of being limited with time, we can actually start pretty much straight away as opposed to waiting for the beginning of a cycle as we would in IVF, where we're sort of wanting to line up the, the eggs or the follicles with the um, lining, because we're not interested in the receptivity of the lining, we can pretty much just start stimulation straight away, which means there's less of a delay before they can, the, the woman's cancer treatment can start. And often we're ready to collect eggs within about one to two weeks of them seeing us
0: yeah,
1: right. yeah
0: for any serious illness, uh, time is of the essence as it is in reproduction in general, but obviously even more so. So that's good news that they can do it quickly uh, prior to treatment. And I know the technology has evolved significantly and as you said, getting such great quality out of the vitrification process that you can achieve a pregnancy very successfully and with no adverse effects so that they're now seeing. So good news.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And um, the other, I guess, the other uh, factor to consider is the stimulation itself and the hormones. It's in the hormonal sort of environment. And some cancers are hormonally sensitive. The one that's the most common one where that's the case is breast cancer. And there is sort of at least a theoretical concern that having those high levels of hormones um, can be detrimental with cancer. Although there's been no nothing to show that, um, just as a preventative measure, we use a medication to reduce the estrogen levels during the stimulation. Again, trying to make things as safe as possible. And obviously the number one priority is um, the, the person's cancer treatment that that's as good as it can be um, because obviously survival is is the key to everything. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure we're not doing any harm that way. And it looks like that's safe as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also so obviously
0: sperm freezing as well. Obviously, reproduction of- often focuses around the woman, um, but there is that option available for men. Is that easier, similar? How does it work? Yeah. About-
1: so, yes, I 100% agree with you. So important we sometimes um, can ignore men, but that's at our um, at our detriment because we know that in general in reproduction and fertility, men are 50% of the equation. Yeah. We see you know, some component, some input of an issue from the male side when there's a problem for a couple to conceive. So we should never ever (laughs) ignore males. Um, But like like a a lot of other things within this field, it is slightly easier for men because mature sperm freezing is is relatively easy. So all men who are going to be undergoing um, cancer treatment, such as chemotherapy or targeted radiation to um, and around their their testes, the option of of mature sperm freezing is is really great. So they can produce sperm sometimes. Um, If there's time, they can do a couple of these productions of sperm for freezing. If um, If the results of the sperm test are excellent and we've actually frozen a lot of sperm, there's options in the future for using it even for insemination rather than having to do IVF. If there's less of it, or it's not quite as good, then IVF is the option. Um, but even within that, it might be possible to still put the egg together with the sperm, rather than having to inject a single sperm into the egg. But again, if, if we've got even less, then that would be the fallback, one sperm being injected into the egg. So that's something that, you know, technology has been around for now quite a long time. And it's very, very, very successful. and, and you know, there are lots of dads who otherwise wouldn't have had the chance that they're not frozen their their sperm. I think discussions like this
0: hopefully create more awareness because men probably less so. I think women we're naturally wanting to think about reproduction, but men pop. I say less so. I think it is always on their radar, but perhaps it's not something that when they get treatment they want to get treatment for the cancer straight away. But it is simple for them to have yep. some of them frozen as that insurance policy if anything detrimental were to happen they've got that bank there which is right.
1: And I, I think you're right as well tasha about the fact that men in general are sort of less likely to see doctors that they're less likely to ask for help to want to discuss mm. these issues so i think you know to, to some degree i think it would be fair to say it's less on men's radars especially for very young men you know maybe they haven't even thought about that of having a family in the future. Um, But, you know, it's good to have as a fallback. It's not quite as easy. So this is, you know, the mature sperm freezing is an option for um, post-puberty. So boys who who are after puberty and obviously men. um, Before puberty, though, things are not simple at all because there there are no mature sperm that have been created. That that sort of spermatogenesis, hasn't been, has, hasn't started yet. And what that means is that there's no sort of um, established options for boys. We do have the option though of freezing testicular tissue. So this is similar to ovarian tissue, but the, the main difference is that we haven't yet, you know, it's still very much experimental. We haven't yet been able to. Um, or time-wise, hopefully, you know, it's just that we'd bit behind in time, but there has not yet been a birth from um, using testicular tissue, which has been frozen. We have recently had some success um, over in North America um, and a little monkey was born um, from, from that. Wow. So hopefully it's all, you know, going to happen soon for humans as well, but that's not where we're yet. Um, but still, it is certainly something that um, is an option and can be discussed within sort of the, the right ethical frameworks um, as an option.
0: It is, as I said earlier, such an evolving field, rapidly evolving really, and, and the technology is quite exciting that we will be able to have that potential. And you mentioned ovarian tissue freezing, and I, you explained a little bit more about that and how that works. That's not as, I guess, commonly known as egg freezing, but yes. have
1: had more success
0: with that than the testicular.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a very exciting option because there, there is also, similar to um, pre-pubertal boys, there's also no uh, option to freeze eggs for um, pre-pubertal girls. So for those, for those girls, freezing ovarian tissue is the only sort of fertility preserving option. Um, also for some women for whom there is no time, like we don't have the one to two weeks to freeze eggs, um, or if the hormonal stimulation is thought not to be safe for them, you know, there's a number of different um, situations. Also, sometimes if the treatment is that is thought to be um, so toxic to the ovaries, doing that in combination with um, the mature freezing. That's, that's where the, uh, you know, really the benefit of the ovarian tissue freezing is. Now, what is it? Um, the initial step is to do a laparoscopy, which is keyhole surgery. It's a surgery which takes about half an hour, 45 minutes, and a part of the ovary, or sometimes the entire ovary is taken and then it is preserved or processed and, and cryopreserved in slices. And so then, you know, that, that can happen it's a day case. It can happen even the day before starting treatment for cancer, for example. And at that point, that's all that's done. Then down the track, once survival's ensured and, and medically the, um, the woman is well, the tissue can be grafted back inside of her body. And that's quite an exciting thing. So it can be put back uh, near where the ovary sits in the pelvic side wall. It can be put into the actual, um, under the capsule of the ovary itself, even in the abdominal, um, abdominal wall, just underneath the peritoneum. And then interestingly, if we do some gentle IVF stimulation, we can get follicle to grow within that tissue. And we can collect the follicle and again, using IVF, um, try to create embryos. And now in in the world, there's been over 170 births from from Mm -hmm. such tissue. Mm -hmm. And some of those births have also been spontaneous. So if the tissue is grafted in a location where it can actually ovulate and be taken up by the tubes, if the tubes are working, then a natural spontaneous pregnancy can occur as well. And we've had um, at least five births here through the Women's and Melbourne IVF, so that's you know something that um, is really, really exciting for us.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean you obviously see a lot of patients. Can you I guess tell us a bit about the stories, the some success stories to give people hope that may be listening, that may be either struggling with a cancer diagnosis or you know struggling with fertility in general? Yeah, some stories of hope. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the important thing um, with, with the ovarian tissue to, to note is that it is quite, you know, it's quite an involved process. So after that tissue is grafted back, you know, there's, there's lots of uh, monitoring, there's lots of stimulation, stimulated cycles. It's not an easy road. So that's really important to be um, aware of. And when there's success, it's amazing. And um, from the patients who I've encountered who've had success, you know, they felt it was all 100% worth it. But it's important to realise that at sort of the outset, that that it is not, a, you know, not a walk in the park. Yeah. And um, overall, the in terms of this space, um, the take-home message in terms of hope is that there is always an option if having a baby is ultimately... Your goals, So, you know, that may, and that comes back to, to your initial intro, you know, that may not be plan A with your own eggs um, naturally, or it may not be with your own eggs, even in an IVF setting. Okay, so that might be um, something that's tried and, and not successful. And then, you know, there's the option of, for example, using donor eggs to achieve that. There are those women for whom let's say they've had treatment, they've had radiation treatment to the pelvis where the uterus is damaged, where carrying the pregnancy may not be possible. So they may have had some of their own eggs stored and it might be a gestational carrier or a surrogate that that ultimately ends up carrying the pregnancy. Or they may not have had eggs stored and need a gestational carrier. And then again, it would be a donor egg. and, and a gestational carrier as well, and I guess there's so many ways it could work, and that ultimate message that they can walk away at the end of it with a baby if if that's what they want, um, is really important. And we and we also know that some patients, in the, at the end of the day, choose to go down the adoption pathway. But wh- whichever way it happens, you know, having that baby, caring for, for the child, loving your baby. None of it, you know, that process which got them there in the first place, that's all sort of forgotten and it's that care that, um, and the love that, that ultimately replaces all of that. Yes. And that's, that would be the ultimate message, I think, that comes away from all of this.
0: I think so. That's what I, that's what I took away from our, our discussion last time is that there isn't a path to your baby. And as you said, when the baby turns three and five and 18 and 21, how it came to be, how that came to be part of that family is all forgotten. And it's about the journey from there. So if having a baby is on your must do in life list, there is a path to get there. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, and it's really important finding the support, you know, the, um, the people you have with you on that journey, because the journeys can be so di- different for different people, they can be so hard, and um, having, having the right people by your side, you know, having captain of the ship, if that's what you need, and, and you know, someone who is by your side, sort of every step of the way through that journey, I think is so important.
0: Because it's a tumultuous journey, fertility, regardless of whether there's you know serious illness involved, cancer involved, it's such a roller coaster. So Absolutely. getting that support alongside you from all aspects is so, so important. So yes. on that note, where can people, if they want to, if they've heard this discussion and thought, like I want to reach out and, and get some support and advice myself? Where should they reach you? I'll put some links in the show notes. But if you're listening on your uh, in the car or going for a run, where can people reach you?
1: Um, so there's a number of ways to reach me, and one thing that I um, just want to put in that I, I think we haven't quite mentioned at all is the fact that if you haven't had a chance to do any fertility preservation and you've had cancer treatment in the past and you're thinking uh-oh you know I haven't had a chance there's still options for you to because that reproductive window may be shortened but there still might be time to still go ahead and do that um, egg freezing to, to save some eggs for the future for example so it's really important to realize that it's often not too late to think about it afterwards. Um, and so in terms of reaching me, I um, I work through the Women's, the Royal Women's Hospital. There's some great fertility preservation links through that website, through Royal Women's Hospital website. I also work privately um, through East Melbourne and you can find me on my website, um, on Instagram as well. I try to put up some useful posts every now and then. Um, and I'm located, apart from East Mill, the other place I go to is the southeast, the Peninsula Private Hospital as well. So if you're from Bayside area, that's another option.
0: Excellent. Well, I think that is an important message that no matter whether it's a current diagnosis, a past diagnosis, it's, ne- it's never too late to seek help, really. Is, is, I think the important message is that it's never too late. There is a path, regardless of what that is, um, and people like yourself can help. In guide people on the best path um, to achieve the outcome that they're looking for in relation to, to their family.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's a great summary. Yeah. Thank you. Is there
0: anything else you'd like to leave us t- with today that we haven't covered? I feel like we've been quite comprehensive in this chat. So yeah.
1: Thank you for, for
0: being involved again.
1: Yeah, no, that summary was excellent. You, you really nailed it. <laughs>
0: Well, I love that message and hopefully that's the one thing that you take away is to get the support you need regardless of what circumstance you're in, whether you think it's too late or it's too early, it never is. It's never too late or too early to get help and support in regards to your fertility. We have one life and if having a baby and having a family is on your must-do bucket list, there is a path to get wet there. So get the help and support you need. And I will put the links that you mentioned um, in the show notes um, so that people can access that um, when they can. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Conceive Baby Podcast. To help you move forward on your journey to pregnancy, I've created your free fertility checklist for you. This checklist provides simple swaps you can make that can have a significant impact on your chances of conceiving and carrying your healthy baby. So be sure to head to conceivebaby.com.au forward slash checklist to download your free fertility checklist today.